All right, everyone, welcome to show number eight on Crypto Voices, talking about crypto economics and liberty. I'm your host, Matthew Majenskis, here with my co-host, Fernando Ulrich. Fernando, how you doing? I'm doing great, Matthew. How about you? Doing fine. Uh, been on a bit of a holiday the last two weeks. Uh, it's funny when you, you know, spend most of your uh, non-working hours sort of downloading, streaming content, uh, reading Twitter feeds, learning all you can about the Bitcoin world, and you sort of unplug from that for some time. It's interesting how quickly it seems <laughs> you can lose track especially <laughs> especially in the last two weeks with uh just the crazy price action uh that we have seen and i think that we will get into it but uh, it's been nice i was in italy actually for uh for a week with my girlfriend we were in genoa uh, i was hoping to go to an insurance or banking museum because uh, genoa was was big on that uh, back in the renaissance but there wasn't yeah. it wasn't too much but it was still uh it was still quite interesting and saw you know some of the riviera so it was it was good and then now we're in my hometown won't bore the listeners too much with the details but we did go to the zoo our zoo actually has uh, the youngest and smallest hippo in the world <laughs> her name is her name is fiona so we actually saw her yesterday that was pretty funny very good important details for our listeners absolutely absolutely <laughs> very important details but uh, anyway other than that, uh, how about you, Fernando? It's been uh, pretty, uh, pretty busy for you, as I understand. And you had some very, very interesting uh, interactions with your uh, government down in Brazil. Yeah, so July has been a, a very interesting month, not only for Bitcoin and crypto in general in the whole world, but also in Brazil. So it was in on July 5th, I was invited to to speak at a public hearing in, in Brasilia, our country's capital, because they are they are holding a special committee to study how to regulate crypt, uh, cryptocurrencies or digital currencies in the country. They keep saying virtual currencies as the ECB names it, but the European Central Bank. But I, I don't think it's an, an accurate description of virtual currencies. But they, they relate, they, they describe them as virtual currencies. But anyway, so this public hearing was the first of at least four or five more that will be held in Brasilia. So it was in our Congress and not many people were present at the hearing itself. Closely, close to, I'd say, 15 uh, congressmen and also another on the panel on the so at the hearing there was some official from our internal revenue service which we call receita federal which is the irs of brazil there was a ceo and founder of one of brazilian bitcoin exchanges flow btc his name is marcelo miranda and myself also as the expert or in the independent expert at the panel at this hearing and my audience, my hearing, this was the first one. My main objective with this, with my participation and my remarks was mainly to educate, to instruct and, and make people understand what we are dealing with. So I think my, my take on this hearing was very similar to, to Andreas Antonopoulos at the Canadian Senate, I think it was in 2015, his, his remarks there and his hearing. So it was, was first and foremost to educate and try to make people 
comprehend what this technology is all about, what it isn't. I mean, because for for congressmen and for the layman, we have to start from the very beginning and to demystify a lot of things that people misconceptions people have such as there's no company behind Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is, is a protocol, is a communications protocol, which is not owned by anybody. I mean, it's something that has, it's been invented and it's there, it's been used by whoever wants to use it. So it's my main focus at the hearing was to educate. And I think I, I was very successful. Many congressmen, they, they really understood. And my message was plain and simple. First, you have to understand First, you have to try to see how the technology works, what you can do and you cannot do about it, what was its purpose and how it can or cannot be regulated. And if you want to regulate, how it should be done. And my take is also, is always, I believe in, in market regulation. I believe in, I believe in auto regulation and not having the state or having a regulatory body dictating laws or uh, how how things should be done, how businesses should be managed, just like the bit license tried to do. So we should try to avoid this as much as possible. And our Congress, I can say, they are pretty open to this. And the fact that they're going to have four or five more public hearings on the matter, I think it shows that they are genuinely trying to understand prior to making any decision if we should or not regulate Bitcoin. Well, kudos to you for going and uh, being able to uh, participate and spread the good word about Bitcoin in such a manner. I think it's uh, it's amazing. And obviously we'll link to that in the show notes and uh, you've done uh, good work in front of large crowds uh, in Brazil before. A um, couple questions though. First of all, a little bit off topic, I'm just curious, is uh, the Brazilian national government, is that set up uh, kind of like a parliamentary democracy, like in most European countries, or is it more of a, a sort of a republic, federalized U.S. version? It's more like the U.S. version, actually pretty similar, except the, the voting system is more a direct democracy than in the U.S. So you, you mm -hmm. really vote direct, you vote on the on the president or governor or the municipality head. So to, you, you want to choose, you want to elect into office. But apart from that, we have the Senate, we have the, the House of Representatives. So it's pretty much the, I think it's very, very similar to the US. Okay, interesting. But the, uh, and as far as the financial regulation goes, are the, is there a similar body as well? You know, sort of uh, an SEC or? Very, very similar. We have our SEC, which is called CVM, Comissão de Valores Mobiliários. It's, it's a very, it's a precise equivalent of the America's SEC. Then we have the Brazilian Central Bank, which is also almost a, a copy-paste of the Federal Reserve. You also have our Federal Open Market Committee. So the workings, it's pretty much the same, I'd say. I think it was, it was kind of modeled after the Federal Reserve because when we had our new currency, when it was created back in 1994, the Brazilian Rio, mm -hmm. almost everything was kind of done from scratch and Federal Reserve was the model which our representatives uh, based upon. Very interesting. So what kind of uh, questions did you get? Could you highlight a couple interesting ones? Do you think that they're understanding something a bit more beyond, you know, like you said, the basics, or are you really just starting from scratch? 
Yeah, the, the usual worry is how is this technology being used by money launderers or criminals or any kind of criminal activity. So this is the, the main concern of our representatives here in Brazil. And that's why they think, in theory, it should be regulated under the Brazilian Central Bank. Actually, the committee itself, it was assembled to, to give its opinion on a bill being proposed, which was proposed back in 2015, which says virtual currencies and airline mileage programs. Yeah, the two things, they, they have nothing to, see, nothing to do with each other. So virtual currencies and airline mileage programs should be regulated under the Brazilian Central Bank uh, law of 2013, which regulates electronic payment arrangements. That's the, the proposal of this bill. So the committee was assembled to form an opinion on this bill itself. But now it's, it's, it's becoming something even bigger than, the, than only providing an official opinion on this bill. And that's why it's a special committee trying to understand if and, and how cryptocurrencies should be regulated, not just airline mileage. Now it's just a, uh, this is the, the, the tiny part of the committee. Yeah, so money laundering and criminal activity with the technology is the, the main concern of our of our representatives. And I made I made clear that it was important it was important to to quote from a British the Treasury document, a report actually, which was published in 2015 regarding or assessing how financial how terrorism and money laundering activities are carried out nowadays. And they try to analyze several uh, forms, several ways of laundering money or financing criminal activity or terrorism. And it was interesting because of all the ways possible to finance terrorism or to launder money, cryptocurrencies and digital currencies in general was the one posing the lowest risk for this kind of activity. So... <clears throat> First in the list was the banking system and after the banking system, cash. So these are the main ways which money launderers and terrorists look for when they are trying to finance their activities. Oh, that's very interesting, actually. Do you do you have a link to that? Uh, we yeah, can of course. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we, we can share the link with our listeners. I have not, just a quick aside on that, I, ha I have not seen, uh, you know, such research like that, but but it is. And you mentioned Andreas Antonopoulos. I think he also recently uh, was in front of the financial services, one of the committees mm -hmm. in Australia. And it was similar questions. You know, I listened to that uh, testimony, uh, just like I think you were probably getting. And that, uh, you know, I was just talking to people in my hometown uh, this weekend. That always comes back, the uh, whether it's terrorist activities or mm -hmm. money laundering activities or illegal activities, it always seems to come back, digital currencies that you know, shadow, uh, shadow economy, you know, it must be where digital currencies are. There's no other real use case. And, you know, if that is or is not true, the clear, the clear uh, comeback to that is that, uh, as you rightly pointed out in that paper, that <laughs> the, it's the US dollar, it's, it's hard uh, fiat exactly. cash, that is actually the, uh, the, the vast majority that's, that's, the arbiter of that type of uh, business dealing uh, in the shadow economy. And I, I've, I've seen World Bank IMF reports that, you know, all of the shadow economy, whether it's uh, Ill illegal uh, wages, whether it's uh, guns, drug trafficking, whatever, 
the entire shadow economy in most countries is, is anywhere from 10 to 30% of GDP. So if you, if you think about that on a world global level, and we always try to do that, you know, like we're, we're talking 10 trillion at least uh, mm -hmm. dollars that are in this shadow economy. And, you know, all of crypto is topped out at 100 billion uh, a month ago. So it's just, it's peanuts, you know. The more uh, selfish crypto follower could say, hey, I would, I would love it if we actually would take over the shadow economy. But uh, it's clear that that's not even close to happening. And crypto has, uh, and digital currencies have so many other use cases beyond the shadow economy that uh, that's, that's very good that, that I think you were able to point that out. And I'm very intrigued to see that that was published. Uh, like that by the Bank of England. And I made sure they understood first that Bitcoin as a technology, it was not developed or invented for the specific use of criminal activity or online criminal activity. This is not its purpose. So exactly. I had to, to highlight this. And another point I tried to, to make on this hearing is that the representatives and the congressmen and the state, they should focus on the act itself, not on the technology used. I mean, a murder is not, is, not a, is not more or less murder if it's done with a shotgun or with a knife or a fork. It's mm -hmm. the murder, it's not the technology used to, to practice that murder, to, to carry out, to execute. And this is what we have to highlight. Another point I tried to make is the pseudo anonymity of Bitcoin is not a feature also that was, let's say, created or adopted in the technology to enable criminal activity or to enable uh, criminal, criminals to act without being noticed. That was not the purpose. The pseudo anonymity is a security feature of the technology. And it's, a com it's the complete opposite. We need this so the technology can be a trustless or distributed system where trust is not relying on any single entity and where we, doesn't have, we don't have to vet any participant or block anyone from accessing the system. So that's why the network uses a kind of pseudo-anonymity. Yeah, couldn't agree more. What, uh, what other questions? Anything else you think you might want to highlight from that? I think these concerns were mainly emanating from our representatives. Now, from the Internal Revenue Service guy there, the official from the Our IRS, his concern or the Our IRS biggest concern is how they can prevent tax evasion or even currency evasion. That's the main concern. I don't know how it, how it is in the US, but here in Brazil, our IRS is so advanced and developed and not in a good sense for, uh, for us citizens that they're able to virtually trace and track any financial transaction that occurs in our financial system. Plain and simple, they, they have almost absolute control, or at least they can monitor everything that happens and that goes on on our financial system. And for them, when they see uh, Bitcoins and the blockchain, yes, they know that transactions can be traced, but you cannot link a real identity with the accounts being used in the system on the network. So that's the, their main concern, how they can avoid or prevent that tax evasion are happening in the system. And again, my, my response to their concerns is the same concern they have 
or the same problem we have with the cash system nowadays. So we already have cash being used throughout the economy, but it's mainly being used for small cash transactions. So small, small purchases that are in the end irrelevant for the whole, for all of the tax system or the, the tax burden of the country. And if Bitcoin is gonna be used for as a means to evade taxation, it's gonna be pretty irrelevant as well. Not and it's in something that the officials should not be that much concerned, but it is the, their main concern. And after the hearing, I actually published a video on my YouTube channel because I didn't get the, the time to, 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 to dwell on this matter more than I wanted to. And in the end, it's a kind of philosophical question we as society and as citizens, we should ask, does the state really have a right of invading our privacy and being able to monitor every single transaction that we carry out? I mean, this should be the real question and not how can the state regulate or even monitor another, another system that is being born and being developed now by, by individuals. That's the real question we should be asking, not how we regulate Bitcoin, but how we unregulate and, and denationalize this, our banking system. That's the real question, in my opinion. I think it's a great question to ask. We'll, we'll leave it rhetorical for now for the listener to, uh, you know, maybe try to, uh, to explore, but um, I hope that we can move in the, clearly what is the right direction and the right answer for that. Well, that's, that's amazing, Fernando. Any, uh, anything else to add from that testimony? No, I think let's let's see how how it develops. I know they're they're trying to move quickly with this committee, but we will have hearings probably in August. We're gonna have two or three more hearings in August, and then let's see. We'll have to monitor to see how it's gonna be progressed. Okay, great. Look forward to hearing more uh, on that in the future. Then, uh, moving on to our next topic. Then, past couple weeks, as our listeners know, we provided uh, our first and really only update and sort of overview on the Bitcoin scaling debate, the block size limit debate, etc. And we're quickly coming to this date, uh, August 1st. There are many places where you'll be able to find uh, a plethora of information regarding this, regarding uh, SegWit, SegWit2x, user activated soft fork. We will, uh, we will skip that for this week. Instead, I think turn to a more uh, maybe uh, something that pulls at the heartstrings a bit more of crypto followers, and that is the price, uh, which, as I mentioned, if you unplug from the crypto markets for a couple of weeks, it can really move uh, <laughs> in a serious way, which is, uh, which is tough for people that were perhaps not in as early as others or have weaker hands or uh, just might not have the conviction uh, as, as some others in the markets. But before we get to uh, talking about the price, uh, I just want to talk still a little bit about uh, where you would go in the markets today, in the quote real world, in the analog world today, when you have uh, gyrations in the market. And typically that has always been uh, government bonds. Uh, so the sovereign, the state that is uh, running your country's pension funds, etc., they typically have the deepest pools of liquidity, the deepest pockets, and they are managing the deepest uh, sources of money in uh, each nation, not to mention printing more money uh, when, when they prefer. Uh, but regardless, 
if there are gyrations and uncertainties in the equity markets, for example, or the commodity markets, typically people move to uh, the sovereign. They move towards uh, the government bonds uh, that reflect uh, the nation's credit. Fernando, you've written a lot about this. What do you think? I mean, I, I always think it's amusing when we see the craziness in the crypto world, and it is so early days, and a lot of people are, are scared of it, and they're, they're not really sure what's going to happen next week or next month. But we've been in the midst of a 30-year bull, 30-plus, uh, 35-year bull in, in bonds uh, globally, led by the U.S. What is your take on the state of... Uh, government bond yields are they are they an attractive investment are they a risky investment so the united states treasury bonds they're considered the risk free rate right mm -hmm. so this is the so there's there's zero investors theoretically they attached a zero risk to government bonds especially the us treasury now the funny thing is right now with current yields, I think that the U.S. is what 2.4, 2.40%. I'm, I'm not, I'm actually not following closely the past weeks. It's around there. So if you analyze the U.S. government fiscal accounts, it is a pretty dire situation. And theoretically, again, a bond yield, it should reflect also the issuer finances or the issue of financial condition. And if you if you, you see the U.S. government raising the debt limit a, a, every couple of years, I think they've raised again or they're going to have to raise again. And they will raise again as, as it happens usually. Right. So the financial situation, the financial condition, the fiscal accounts of the U.S. government, it, it is actually deteriorating. It is getting worse. In that case, yields should be going higher, but they aren't. And the main reason in the last years, especially since the financial crisis, the main reason why bond yields really uh, are remaining, are still are persistently low in the current levels is because of central bank intervention or quantitative easing, so QE. Which, by the way, the Bank of Japan just last week on the 10th of July, they announced they are now going to buy unlimited amounts of JGBs, so Japanese government bonds, so they can try to move the yield back to 0%. I mean, this is really nuts. It is insane. The U.S. is not, the Federal Reserve Bank is not, is not going to through any other round of QE at the moment. Actually, they're trying to unwind. At least they're discussing how to unwind their balance sheet, which ballooned to 4.5 trillions in, in the span of four years. Now, so to, to try to answer the, the question, is it an attractive investment? I think it's getting riskier by the day. You do have the, the security of, since the currency that, has, that is being issued is the US dollar, we know that the Federal Reserve can always print dollars and buy the government bonds. But for how long can they do this? And, buy, and how many bonds, how much they can invest and purchase from the market? So the, the take is it's getting riskier by the day. And now it's with the, with the yields at the current levels, it is something that I always refer to James Grant from Grant's Interest Rate Observer. 
once he he said something which is kind of funny and, and it makes us reflect we used to have the risk free rate of return now we have the return free <laughs> risk rate yep. because i mean there's no more uh, return and then the risk is getting higher with the same rate of return and if you look beyond the us japan and europe it's pretty much the same so the european government the european central bank the ecb is also buying enormous amounts of bonds though they are saying that they're going to taper and limit the amounts in the future they're still buying at least the, the tens of billions of bonds every month it is ludicrous yeah and uh regarding the fiscal side uh a quick aside there one of my favorite quotes was from uh, our Senator uh, Mitch McConnell. He, he would always say raising the debt limit was like paying your uh, credit card bill, raising the debt ceiling, which uh, <laughs> most people wouldn't quite think, uh, you know, paying off your uh, five credit cards with, you know, two new ones at a higher debt limit would be paying your credit card bill. That would just be sort of uh, adding more debt. But um, that's how they like to phrase it. But that's a whole other story uh, regarding the instrument itself, government bonds, as uh, we're certainly going to explore this more on our on our show. But these are the deepest pools of liquidity in the world. Uh, the ten-year, typically in each nation and each sovereign, prices other assets, other derivatives, other interest rates, other lending rates, short-term, long-term. And uh, it's probably worth reminding our listeners that Switzerland is still negative. Their ten-year government yeah. bond rate is still. True negative which is <laughs> simply an odd situation to have where you're actually putting the money into the bank and you have to pay to keep it there uh simply an odd situation to have and let us uh, let us not forget the swiss national bank the central bank of switzerland is one of the biggest shareholders of apple actually they're, they're they have shares in a lot of they have over 70 billion us dollars in company shares in the US. Yeah, and that's that's good you brought that up. You you're more knowledgeable on this than I am, but they are they were the first bank to start buying equities, is that correct? Or was the Japanese government doing that? I think the Japanese government was the first one buying ETFs, so kind of buying stocks through an ind indirect method. Yeah. But buying uh, buying outright stocks, outright purchase of stocks, I think the the SNB, so the Swiss National Bank, was the first one. Yeah, th this is something I really would like to explore more with our listeners in the future. I think this is uh, fascinating. These are this is right up uh, certainly Fernando's alley, and I'm interested in this as well. And uh, this is this is how the sausage is made in the financial markets. I mean, when the government. Uh, the government, central banks buy assets, typically government bonds, from their uh, from their federal government. That's how the money starts to flow through the economy. So it's it's very interesting. It's very important. But we're seeing uh, we're at the height, or at least everyone thinks we're at the height of a thirty five year uh, bull run in uh, in bonds. And again, the lower the yield, the higher the price. So the higher the fall theoretically. Yeah. And, and, the, and the question is how much, how much longer can they control? Because central banks, they do intervene. They can purchase, they can influence the market, but they don't have an absolute and total control of bond yields. They do influence, but they don't have a perfect control. In the end, it is the market. And when confidence evaporates, they're not going to be able to control the whole thing, the whole market. It's we're talking trillions of dollars. It's true. Uh, I, I did some research on this personally a while back. Um, 
they they do control uh, short term for sure. You know, the overnight rates, uh, the deposit rates, uh, mm-hmm. the, the short term lending rates. They they do uh, control uh, control those. And you know, correlation doesn't mean causation. But I ran some correlations, and it's like it's ninety nine percent. It's point nine nine. Uh, wherever the bond yield moves uh, in the short term is where that overnight uh, Fed funds rate, for example, where that moves, which it's explicitly, you know, that's the rate that, that they set. So the short term rates for sure, the long term rates still, though, they're correlated, you know, historically, I don't know, 80 to 90 percent, even the longest term, the long, you know, 30 30-year bonds, et cetera. I, I definitely take your point. And, and everybody says this, you know, Mark Faber, Jim Rogers, famous bears for a long time have said this, that True. they will lose control. It's very interesting to me, though, how that will take shape. And I think I think digital currency, cryptocurrency will will uh, will be a part of that. I, I, I uh, we're, we're getting long on, on the intro and uh, <laughs> we'll keep the, the meat of it short then. I just wanted to direct our listeners, uh, if you're worried about, obviously, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum has lost, say, 50% of its value from its peak. It was $400 at the start of June. Uh, Bitcoin has lost, call it 30%, 25 to 30%. It's, been, it's rebounding a little bit these last couple of days. But, you know, Bitcoin was at 3000 Ethereum, Ether was at 400 uh, They are drastically lower uh, in the last month. And um, that scares a lot of people. Uh, but just to take a long view and to look again, not everybody was making investments back at this time, but this is, it comes back to, it's all interlinked. You know, Bitcoin is not a company. Bitcoin's not a stock. It's not something that, you know, we have to be worried about necessarily, uh, management coming in and changing the, uh, the total allocation of shares outstanding or of coins mm-hmm. outstanding. So there are all sorts of factors where if you look at the long-term view, I think it's quite, quite bullish and I'm, I'm quite confident. But we have this uh, we have this exhibit up on on crypto voices. It's uh, compound returns versus uh, the U.S. dollar over time. You can find it, find it under the economic charts on cryptovoices.com. And you know, just to just to run a few a few, a few numbers here, if you were, for example, you know Roger Ver, who famously was buying Bitcoin uh, in early 2011 when it just broke about a dollar. Basically, if you're Roger Ver and you're buying Bitcoin in the very early days, say it's around a dollar, you know, it, it's not that hard to see that that's an incredible, incredible return. If it's, you know, around $2,300 today and you bought it at a dollar, that's about 230,000%. It's, it's an astronomical number and everybody would be, uh, would be very happy to have that return. But we can actually compare uh, returns like this just to uh, what a government bond yield is. And that is we need to find the compound annual growth rate. Now that's a complicated thing. Uh, I'll eventually start doing some YouTube videos to discuss this more where we can see it you know, in chart form and it'd be a bit easier. But we can actually take in the time decay, that is you know, the six, seven years that have passed since the earliest investors in Bitcoin started to buy it when it was around a dollar or under a dollar. And Fernando, if I were to ask you the compound annual return of, say, buying Bitcoin when it was around a dollar held till today, do you have any idea what it would be? 300%? Very close. Very close. Uh, a bit under. And it depends on the day. Obviously, this is a, a sensitive calculation. We won't run into uh, the details. But somewhere around 
300%. Now, just that, that is the number right there. We can forget all the calculation. The, that is the percentage that represents compound annual growth. I mean, if you held that dollar, reinvested it every year, and then you come to today, today's price, about 300% compounded. That's the number you compare with a government bond yield. So if you were holding Bitcoin <laughs> enormous. for six, seven years, you were making a 250 to 300% compounded return. Now, just think about what we just talked about with government bonds. 1%, 2% going down every year. Your risk, the, the risk-free, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the return-free return risk rate, was rate increasing. Risk. <laughs> yeah, if not going negative in the case of Switzerland. So from that very simple analysis alone, you can start to see the, the benefits of crypto. Now, it's not always positive. If we did this analysis, you know, uh, a year ago, um, some of those people that bought in the height of 2013 would have a negative return. It would not be good, you know, it, it, when Bitcoin was trading around 600 bucks or whatever. Of course, it's not always up, up, up. But generally, the trend in crypto is starting to look quite high compared to your traditional safe, quote, safe, uh, risk-free uh, assets. So that's, that's really, I think, the longer-term thing that we need to think about. And this, this holds for a variety of times. Like right now on the site, I'm ignoring the past 90 days, which, in fact, will take out some of the uh, volatility. Like if you bought Bitcoin in June of 2017, clearly you're at a loss of a 30% loss or something. But... Um, if you bought Bitcoin in November of 2015, you'd have a 200% compound return. Even if you bought it at the height of the first, well, massive bubble, let's say, in December of 2013, you'd have a 50% compound return, something like that. I'm looking at the, the chart right now. So again, it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing to look at. Uh, not many people, probably not anybody, will do this type of a calculation for uh, assets that don't yield cash flow and that's why government bond yields they typically are priced in their yield which includes both uh, the, the the nominal sum if it's bought or sold at a discount and the coupon the cash flow but you can do the same calculation with uh, non-cash flowing assets such as bitcoin or stocks and it's very it's a very high number it's a very positive number regardless of when you got in and yeah the history will change every day how bitcoin goes up or down but we're seeing that the trend is continually rising. And again, we're just, we're in peanuts as far as the financial markets are concerned. You know? <laughs> that is true. Less than $100 billion. But this is, uh, but it's an essential analysis for any investor trying to gauge his portfolio performance. This is how you do it. It's perfect what you've done there. And we'll post the link on the show. It's, it's brilliant because that's how you should really analyze your returns you you look at your annual returns of in all the assets you hold in your portfolio that's how you analyze it so it's great that you've done this yeah and i i, I will uh, like i said i plan on doing a little bit more of this on youtube in the future just to try to uh to sketch it out but compound annual growth that's the key number that's the key number to understand as an investor as a saver uh, as anyone who just wants to accumulate wealth. And uh, we see what it's doing. The, the rates are quoted right there on Bloomberg or anywhere for government bonds, sovereign bonds. It's harder to find those comparables with stocks, but we're doing it here on Crypto Voices for, uh, for cryptocurrency. 
and I'm looking at it, the actual figures. If say you had bought it in uh, November of 2013, which according to blockchain info, the top price was somewhere around $1,100. Uh, December of 13 as well, about $1,100. You would still today be getting a compounded return of 20%. Compounded yeah, it's, it's growth rate of 20%. So that's a very strong number. Anyone who is in investment is in uh, uh, any sort of man portfolio management or, or savings understands that's a very, very strong number. And of course, we're not saying it's always going to go up. And this is obviously not investment advice and it can go down, can go exactly. down much, much <laughs> the, more. The important disclaimer, this is not investment advice. Yeah. <laughs> and as notes. I said, I hate that we have to say that, but I guess but we, we do. do. We do. Yeah. But um that's the key. The key is you need to you need to look at the broad spectrum of assets. You need to try to get things in a compounded uh, annualized rate. And once you do that, the picture can become uh, quite a bit clearer. And as you said, even with all the, the media, the media attention, you can check Google Trends and see how it's uh, it's a let's say it's a term in vogue, a Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. It's still early days. And when we compare the whole of the financial markets and the valuations, the valuations of the gold market, bonds, stocks, uh, cryptocurrencies in general is, is still a tiny, tiny market. So that means that the upside is really, really high. It's, it's huge. That's why whenever I get asked, okay, so what's your price target for Bitcoin? I, it's impossible to give a precise price target. That's why my my usual answer is okay my price target for bitcoin is higher i don't know it's gonna go, it's gonna go higher even if if i because my perspective is always as a long-term hodler so to speak mm -hmm. my my price prediction or my price target is always higher i'm lo i'm always looking to the future at least two three four or even five years from now totally agree i think we'll leave it there when you see the uh, the crazy crypto markets gyrating 10, 15%, 5% a day, uh, certainly you should know that you should never try to invest more than you can lose. But you should also know, as Fernando just said, it's extremely, extremely early days. And uh, we need to be thinking about digital assets in the future uh, five to 10 years from now, just like we were thinking about digital phones replacing uh, analog lines. True. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for me. Fernando, you have anything else? No, I think that that's great. We're going to have to to take a look how this week unfolds. We have a BIP 91 signaling that just started yesterday and it's I think halfway from activating BIP 91, so Segwit 2X might activate Segwit BIP 141 earlier than August 1st. It's going to be an interesting week. It's very interesting. Uh, let's uh, save it for next week and uh, see what happens. All right. Great. All right. Thanks a lot, Fernando. See you next week. Take care, Matthew. See you next week. Bye-bye.